0: Boots on the Ground is brought to you by Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Sunday Times, Business Live and others.
1: Please be advised, in this episode of Boots on the Ground, the names of the schools, pupils and principals have either been changed or are not mentioned at all. This, despite obtaining permission to name them,
0: in order to protect them. You see, when people say they are mud toilets, compared to this one, it's better. This one's not a mud toilet. It's, a, it's just a place to hide. There's no infrastructure at all. There's nothing new here. We have learners that use substances, glue.
2: Others are using taha. Others are using cigarettes at primary level. The Department of Basic Education, in itself as a ministry,
1: needs to be much closer to communities than it is. They're not close to communities, and they don't know what communities need.
3: One of the biggest problems is poor quality
4: of teaching. About 41 percent of pupils who entered the basic education system 12 years ago were lost along the way, and the remaining 59 percent of learners will make it to grade 12. Only a small number qualify to enter tertiary education. In a country with an alarming rate of unemployment, these pupils seem doomed to fail. Most come from poor backgrounds. Their families are putting their hopes in them being educated and employed and helping their families financially. What are the problems in the basic education system? In this episode of Boots on the Ground, Behind South Africa's National Headlines, we get closer to the issue by visiting some overlooked schools to speak to principals, civil society organizations, academics, and government to make sense of the issue we read about in the newspapers to provoke our consciousness about an issue that should concern every South African. For this episode of Boots on the Ground, Behind South Africa's National Headlines, I'm Bulelani no It's a normal morning in an Eastern Cape Pedi village as 14-year-old Avetandwa wakes up to prepare for school. There are only travel roads nearby. He will only come across a town road about two kilometers when he accompanies his mother to collect the 500 rand South African Social Security Agency grant, and according to the General Household Survey, social grants are an important income source for 50.2% of families in the country. Avel Tando is a great aid learner and today, before he leaves for school, he is making fire, fetching water from the tank to boil and helping his siblings who are 6 and 10 years old. They are among the 9 million learners who benefit from the National School Nutrition Program as their schools are classified as quintile 2, or the poorest 20% schools in the country. After ensuring his siblings are ready, Avetandra leaves for school with his elbow-ripped jersey, which was once black. Fortunately for him and his siblings, the schools are less than a kilometer from home. Thank you. The Zero Dropout campaign says poverty, overcrowding in classes, and pupils not getting the attention they need often contribute to them dropping out. We speak to the principal of the primary school in the village who detailed the difficulties faced. There are only two teachers at the school, including the principal, and classes are divided into two multi-grade classrooms where one teaches grade 1 to 3 and another teaches grade 4 to 7. There are about 5,000 multi-graded schools in South Africa.
0: This is a farm school. It it was back then owned by a a farm guy, maybe a white person. Then due to um, democracy, then the school was handed to government. This was a farm, by the way, let alone now that it's no longer a farm. It's a village, small village. So the learners at the school are from other farms or other villages. So it's one of the low... I've never been in a school like this one. Two blocks, multi-graded classes. You see, it's a... But it's a a formal school. It's government-owned. So it's a recognized school, but for the poor of the poorest there is no infrastructure at all. There's nothing new here, as I told you, this is a farm school. So it is, is as if it was uh, built by that white guy who built it, and nothing was built. No ceiling, no staff room, no enough classes, uh, no computer lab, no science lab. No enough books, no enough space of storage, no nutrition uh, storage or anything of sort of a kitchen. It's a uh, you see, that like a shack for a kitchen, we use a shack uh, we've been a shack. The is the issue of um, toilets. You see, when people say they are mud toilets, it's uh, for compared to this one, it's better. This that's not a mud toilet, it's a it's just a place to hide and do your number one and number two. There are no toilets. They are not safe. The only way to make sure that things are better for when it comes to safe is when a teacher accompanies a child.
4: About 25 kilometers from the school is another primary school. The situation here is better. It has seven teachers, but it is short of one teacher. It is a quintile three school, meaning pupils receive nutrition twice a day. Like most schools closer to the main roads, the resources and infrastructure are better than those in the dusty streets. The schools closer to the tower roads complain about drug use. Teachers showed us a white-powder drug, which looked like cocaine, confiscated from the learners. The Zero Dropout campaign says factors contributing to pupils dropping out of school include the child's home life, family factors, and the community in which they live. In this primary school, the average age of learners is 6 to 13. Drug use and child-headed homes have become almost endemic.
2: We have learners that use substances, that is glue, others are using darker. Yes, of course others are using cigarettes, but they are are too small for doing that at at, at, at primary level. Now and again, police come to check the, the learners whether they have something on their bags but still, they are, they are still continuing using the drugs. We also have learners that are bunking classes during tuition time with no apparent reason. You will get them there by the toilets doing nothing. We also have learners that are bullying others. Others are beating others with no apparent reason. Others want to have fights with others And they eat the the lunches of other learners, so bullism is very high. We also have learners, stealing from learners, teachers. Some of of the properties of the school are also damaged by the learners.
4: Unlike most schools around this area of the Eastern Cape, The school has a pupil support agent and reading time on Fridays. The zero dropout campaign suggests the foundation phase improves literacy and numeracy. According to stats, most children leave grade one without knowing the alphabet, while 82% of grade four children cannot read for meaning.
5: Most of our learners come from poor backgrounds. Just because I am doing routine checkups on families, like home visit, Uh, when I, I arrived there. Uh, you could see that this is a child-headed family Mm -hmm. so when a child is ahead of a family there is uh, it affects the performance of the learner Mm -hmm. here at school Mm -hmm. Uh, some of them do smoke in the community but we are trying by all means Mm -hmm. uh, for them not to use the substance Mm -hmm. But most, they are from from very poor families. And the community at large has an effect on the school just because it is filled with drugs and substance use. There is no one who can learn or study if the background is filled with people that use drugs or drink alcohol. Most of the parents of our school are young. They are the youth, the youth that uses this drug, alcohol, smoke, alcohol. they misuse the grand money. That's why our learners are very, very poor and it affects them mentally, even academically.
4: The Zero Dropout campaign has observed a high dropout rate in poor schools. The campaign says access to school has improved. It says 99% of children enter the education system, but the challenges that pull them out of school still need to be solved. Mill Mansfield, program director for the Zero Dropout campaign, explains why pupils are dropping out.
6: You know, we can't say one thing is the cause, Mm. but one of the useful ways to think about it is we talk about things that pull learners from a school space. And those are usually things that are happening outside the school space. So it could could have to do with uh, learners' home life, family factors, uh, the communities learners are in. So if there's challenges like excessive violence, gangsterism, um, high uses of alcohol or substance abuse uh, within their home or in the communities, or other factors that pull learners out, like experiences of trauma, where they might have been exposed to trauma themselves directly or indirectly, and Mm. the impact that has on their ability to learn. Things like poverty and access to meals, so there's things pulling them from the school system. And then the other set of factors are push-out factors, which happen within a school space. And usually speaks to things like learners who are repeating grades. So, those who are really struggling to keep up academically, or learners who are bullied in school, or poor infrastructure, mm. where it's an overcrowded classroom. You know, a learner just gets lost in like a group of 60 kids, mm. you know, and isn't mm. getting the attention they need, for example. Mm. Um, or the distance they have to get to school becomes so overwhelming. Mm. Um, you know, and there's also personal factors that look at things like for girls, for example, mm. pregnancy at an early age often contributes to uh, dropping out of school. And, uh, you know, with boys, really the issue of um, being called into responsibilities in the home mm. or earning of money, you know, where where poverty and, and access to food security is a, is a big concern. So those are the kinds of things that, that we generally would see. Uh, pushing and pulling learners from the school space. In South Africa, it's interesting because one child could have a number of factors in the pulling and pushing kind of domains happening to them at the same time.
4: There are several other organizations concerned about learners and education, and they have been relentless in fighting for their right to education and dignity. We visit Equal Education Eastern Cape Head Office in Ekong to find out what their research on education says. Here is Itoume the manager of the branch.
1: For us at Equal Education, particularly this year, we are tackling two challenges. One, it's infrastructure. We have the biggest backlogs of infrastructure and this is not a new thing in this democratic government because remember the Eastern Cape was a a dump site for apartheid. So it meant that there was no investment during apartheid in the Eastern Cape education. So the democratic government then had a bigger sign um, which they have been very slow in making sure that they meet that assignment. Um, we don't. Say, we're not necessarily saying that the problem is theirs, but we're saying that they have also not played their role to rectify the problem. But secondly, the issue of the literacy rates that is a big issue even in the Eastern Cape, where learners are not able to read to understand. So that means that it affects directly their understanding of. Um, content as they grow into the curriculum going into metric because we know that the foundation phase is the most important phase in terms of building the learner's cognition and understanding of the content within the education system so it's built on a broken foundation because the foundation phase is in teaching learners to read but also it's built on a broken infrastructure because the infrastructure is not giving learners enough resources or even motivation for them to go to school because their lives are either at risk or their health is compromised or um, their teaching and learning time is stolen by some of the infrastructure issues that they're facing. Eastern Cape still has the biggest um, pit latrine after Limpopo, So that tells you clearly that there is no political will also to rectify this infrastructure issue because plain pit latrines were made illegal on 2016 by the current Minister of Education, Ma'am Ejimut but she still has not met um, the law that she promulgated. But uh, secondly, as equal education, we don't necessarily get specialized on like the teacher side, but we have heard from our members um, and different sources that come to us um, on a daily basis that the shortage of teachers is a big issue in the Eastern Cape. And we know that the government has made attempts with adding education assistance, but those are not qualified and trained teachers and so they are not able to close the gap. Um, And so it's clear that that becomes one of the biggest issues. But when we speak about uh, some of the lack of resources, we also speak about things like textbook, the availability of stationery. Um, We know that at the beginning of this very year, it was only until March when learners were able to receive textbooks and stationery for the year. So that means that the first quarter there was nothing um, for learners to use um, to read and to write. (laughs) So that tells you that the experience outside and inside the classroom is just uh, broken for a lot of learners who are in the public schooling system. There are efforts that are put in place to improve the state of infrastructure in in Eastern Cape schools, but that improvement is too slow for us to cite it or to go around and put it in a poster because it can't be that until now there are still learners who have no toilets at schools or are either entirely dependent on plain pickle trees. Um, the budget for schooling infrastructure according to the Department of Education in the Eastern Cape is purely dependent on the education infrastructure grant. So according to the Department of Education, they have no money that comes from the province um, that funds school infrastructure and that is a danger because it means that there is little money being invested to rectifying this, uh this issue of school infrastructure. The Department of Basic Education in itself as a ministry needs to be much closer to communities than it is. Um, They need to engage SGB members much more. They need to engage parents, but they also need to engage civil society. As I'm speaking to you, I've sent millions of emails asking the Department of Education to honor their commitment to our quarterly meeting, but that doesn't happen very easily. So it takes much more effort to be able to sit down in meetings with them. But how much more for an organized um, organization like us um, when it's hard, a normal parent in the streets. So it means that they're not close to communities and they don't know what communities need. Um, You will remember in 2020 when they bought every metric learner tablets, even in areas that didn't have connectivity. So that means that they don't know what are the issues in the ground. And the only way that they can be able to do that is if... Um, they engage in the communities but secondly there needs to be accountability like we can never run away from the fact that someone has wronged something for the, for the delay to happen in the learners literacy in the textbook delivery and in all other things that we hear, we hear about in headlines but we never hear about the accountability who is held accountable for these things that continuously happen um, that puts the education of learners at risk and lastly the department needs to accelerate administration, yeah. it can't be that things are held in the administration. Things like payment, um, things like rationalisation of schools, um, and 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 there is clear. Uh, segregation between departments. The relationship between the Department of Education and the Social Department is, is, is not working as it should and you see that in the case of learners that have mental challenges. But the Department of Education and the Department of Transport is not working as it should. You see that in the numbers of learners that need scholar transport but aren't receiving it. So they need to be they need to put much more effort in uh, streamlining their administration, particularly in working with like in their interdependent
4: relationship. One civil organisation which launched litigation against the Basic Education Department over failure to deliver learning materials in the Eastern Cape is in Makanda, about 72 kilometres from the Petty schools. The Legal Resources Centre took the Basic Education Department to court. Here's Cameron McConaughey from the Education Programs section of the organisation.
3: One of the biggest problems is the poor quality of teaching, and I think that, and I, and I don't want to be disrespectful to teachers because I know it's a very tough job, mm. uh, I know that they work in incredibly difficult circumstances, mm. um, but for various reasons, including the apartheid legacy, a lot of teachers do not hold the content knowledge that they require in order to really teach children to the standard that they need to be taught. Mm. Um, there are, I, I believe there are a lot of teachers who don't really want to be teachers. They've just, they needed a job mm-hmm. and they studied and that was the first thing they became. Mm-hmm. So that there's, often, there's not a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I'm know, I'm, these are huge generalizations because I know that there are many brilliant teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think another problem that particularly, uh, impacts on rural learners mm-hmm. is that a lot of Teachers don't really want to be in the rural areas. They would prefer to be in cities or uh, towns. So, you know, when a vacant post opens up in a rural school, the caliber of teacher that's trying to get that post is generally lower, and there's not as many teachers that are trying to get that post. So I think you often end up with teachers, again this is a generalization, but who don't have a a really good grasp of the content knowledge. Mm. So that is a big problem. I think another major problem is funding. Mm. And that has a huge impact on everything from the quality of the buildings, to whether you've got a pit toilet at your school, to whether there's water. Uh, whether you've got textbooks, whether you've got a textbook for every child versus you know five textbooks for the whole class. Mm. Um, it has an impact on uh, whether there's scholar transport to get children in rural areas to the schools that they need to be at. Mm. Um, it just has a huge impact on everything. Um, I think one of the problems is that the The system does not spend its money as efficiently and as well as it should, mm. so as you may know, South Africa spends approximately fifteen percent of its budget on education, which is a very healthy amount um it's a lot bigger a lot greater than in a lot of other countries mm. um, but we don't seem to be getting um bang for our buck and so but but having said that mm-hmm. um So I think that that leads to the government being hesitant to spend more on education when they're not seeing results. Mm. Um, But what that result, what that means is that schools are underfunded um, and it has a huge impact on all of those things that I just listed, Mm. uh, which affects, you know, if you don't have scholar transport, you have incredibly high rates of absenteeism. Mm. And if a child is coming to school uh, only, you know, Sixty percent of the time, they're missing out on a huge amount of the of the curriculum. Um, if you don't have uh, proper toilets, uh, you know, learners are you know, particularly girl learners. Uh, if they're on their period, they're far less likely to want to go to school if they don't have uh, proper sanitation facilities. Mm. Um, and, and there's lots of research that that bears that out. So, you know, it does have an impact on the ability of children to to access their right um, and to, to make their way through the system.
4: It has become common for education funding to be returned to national government. In 2022, the Eastern Cape Department said it had no funds but returned an unused $205 million to National Treasury. Again this year, the province forfeited 100 million rent in unused funds. Eastern Cape Education MEC spokesperson Visegambochaka responds.
7: For a department to either return money or not return money, for the Department of Education or department anywhere across the country, by the way, your spending is regulated by National Treasure. There's one thing that we can be, we're not conversant with as, as just the public, is that there's a time to spend in the construction industry. There's a time not to spend in the construction industry. Once you get to the tenth of uh, December, you can't do anything in the in the in the in the construction industry, and you will wait for the tenth of January. And at that time, in terms of following to, how long do you take in issuing a tender, and doing that and doing that? You need a uh, two months. Go uh, National Treasurer, we are Gazette. Take the money, so my point is my point is um, this, this this issue and must be looked at holistically, what then becomes the role of national treasurer in the department in relation to money returning.
4: Professor at Rhodes University Zingiswa Jojo says accountability from those in authority is still missing, and the country will find itself building more prisons. She said all parties should come on board to execute their mandates to restore dignity to pupils and teachers. Civil organizations and academics agree the education department has made some progress in supporting schools and pupils, but it's not enough. The issues highlighted are societal and departmental. Society and government must work with civil organizations for a better future for children. Government has a significant bearing on a better future for all and it needs to be committed. Communities and families must also play their part in safeguarding the education of the youth. 2023 marked 10 years since Basic Education Minister Njimu Tsecha signed an agreement compelling the department to ensure every school is a proper school after civil organizations took the department to court. A decade later, the department has not complied. It also leaves us to wrestle with the question of whether the ANC-led government has done enough to honor its mandate, particularly for millions of black people living in poverty.
8: You have been listening to Boots on the Ground, behind SA's National Headlines, Boots on the Ground is a podcast series documenting South African stories and speaking to people at grassroots level. The series was nominated in the Best Podcast category at the 2023 South African Radio Awards. Boots on the Ground is mobile journalism. All interviews, voices, and sound effects have been gathered using smartphones. Boots on the Ground is a production of Times Live podcasts, a division. Vision, of Arena Holdings, publishers of the Sunday Times, Financial Mail, and Sowetan. For this episode, narration, editing, and audio was gathered by Bulelani Nonyukela. To catch the next episode of Boots on the Ground, subscribe for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts.
0: If you liked our show, please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite streaming app and share our podcast with your friends. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe for free on Iono FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Player FM or wherever you get your podcasts.